anyhow, this is kind of the final word, and it really was birthed last summer during in the midst of COVID, and we were sitting out on our, our patio, and we just began to literally reminisce the different places we'd been and trying to remember the years we were there and things that God spoke to us. And I said, I hope I have another opportunity just to share all the values that I learned at these different places. And that's literally where it was birthed. So fast forward a while, and the Lord reminded me of, of a scene in Survivor where they would, at the end of it, the three that were left would go by the different people who had been voted off. I don't think they do this anymore, but they used to. And at each one, they would stop and pause, and they would remember that person, say something about that person. And that's kind of what this series is. It's, um, it's a lot of memory for us. My kids are all watching it. Hi, David, Rachel, and Leah. They watch it later because they're obviously involved in their own churches. But uh, hi, guys. They are all watching it. And the last time I shared, they were like, Dad, we didn't even realize some of that stuff was going on. Well, of course not. Some of them weren't even born yet. So, uh, uh, so they're hearing things for the very first time. It's just such a special time for us. But more than anything, for Valley of You, we want to, literally, this is like an opportunity for us to pass on things that changed our life. We could, we could be here for hours talking about all the things that happened at different church. You know, when we get to Valley of You on the last Sunday, and I'm sharing, there could, you know, there could be so many things you could share. But we'll highlight just a couple that Holy Spirit has really spoke to our hearts here. So that's what we're doing, passing on, literally passing on um, memories and values. So there are five churches or five phases. You may say, well, wasn't there four a week ago? Yeah, there was. And I'll explain that. I'll explain that here in just a minute. So five, five churches, five messages. There were five weeks, anyhow. And we shared with you two weeks ago that our first church we pastored, and I think we were 22 when we went there, uh, was Calvary Bible Church. And those were the four values that we shared with you. We're not going to repeat them. We're not going to take time. We don't have time to do that. Uh, you can always listen to it online, you can watch it on Facebook, or you can get a CD, uh, if, uh, if anybody still has CD players. Not too many people have CD players anymore, so if you have a CD player, you can still get a CD. But those are the four values we learned. Body ministry changed my, I mean, it changed my ministry forever. Changed my ministry. Discipleship, leadership, uh, and godly leadership, biblical leadership, and, and how disagreements sometimes happen in the body of Christ that are not necessarily a bad thing. They are meant to propel you to something else. So occasionally that does happen. So what happened is after I share this, my brother Rex, hello Rex, watches every single week. In fact, they're holding off going back to their church until we retire just so they can watch live. So he literally watches live. He and his wife, Lois, watch live every single week. And I got out there, and we were kind of reminiscing about it. And, and he said, you know, Rich, uh, are you going to share anything about the church when you grew up? And how the impact that that and the Jesus movement had on your life. Well, you know, initially I was just going to do the things that Linda and I did together. That we pastored together. Linda wasn't even, well, she may have been a sparkle in my eye or something way back in those days. But I didn't know her, obviously, then. <laughs> So I said, no, nah, that's not really the intent, and I was going to spend a couple weeks on one church, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what, some of what you see and some of what you've heard and some of these values are literally from what I'm going to call the formative years, and we are literally packing a ton in this one. It's all your fault, Rex. Say, everybody say, it's all your fault, Rex. So like three and a half hours from now, you'll be like, it's all Rex's fault that we did this. You know, so. so I'm going to talk about the church um, and some of the things that happened to me. Yeah, that's Apostolic Oneness Church, Jesus Movement, International Bible College, all three of those. They were all part of the formative years from the age of 12 through the age of 22, 67, 1967 through 19. That sounds so long ago now, doesn't it? <laughs> Through 1977, and yes, that is me uh, rocking my Jesus buttons because I always wore Jesus buttons and, and stuff because I was on fire for the Lord. So 
Those, this is what we're going to cover. So this is what I need you to do. Everybody pretend like you're fastening your seatbelt because we're going to go like from zero to 100 here in a, just a minute. Are you ready? Let's all fasten our seatbelts. Here we go. Let's go for this ride. But it's still important. All these things we're sharing are important, but I won't be able to spend a lot of time on them simply because of the time. And I do honor your time. I will, we will not be here for two and a half hours. You already know that. So here we go. Apostolic one is church. In that picture, and it's probably really hard to see, some of these older pictures, I literally took pictures of pictures. Um, in that picture, there's my dad and my mom, and then there's my three brothers. On the left is Mark. He's uh, after me. Uh, Scott, the little one, is the youngest one. He's the mistake by the lake, is what we nicknamed him. Uh, I know, I know. He also watches. Scott, I love you, bro. Uh, so, and then there's me in the background there, and then there's my brother Rex, the one I just told you about, my mom. Um, so first of all, I should say, and this isn't on your notes, but I should say, if you have godly parents, you are blessed. My parents received Jesus. They were born again, saved, right after they got married. And so they raised us to know Jesus. They raised us to know Jesus. And I'm so honored to be able to say that my parents had a big impact on my life. But I have to say that in my formative years, my mom impacted my life in an unbelievable way. She was so hungry for God and so thirsty for God. She just couldn't get enough. And we were part of a missionary alliance church and and they don't believe in the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or any of that. And she had heard this thing about the Holy Spirit. And she said, oh, I, I want more of God. I want more of Him. And so she began to seek, and God filled her with the Holy Spirit. And then she began to look for a church that wouldn't kick her out for that. Amen. Isn't that sad that some will kick you out for things that are in the Word of God? But we found a little Pentecostal church. It's actually kind of straight-laced. Let me back up here for a minute. It's actually kind of straight-laced church um, and very dogmatic. And, and actually, in some ways, they felt like they, they and their doctrine were the only ones that were right. Uh, and so those are things that I, I could talk about, but I won't um, because I learned better. I learned better, and it was because of the Jesus move that I'll share after this. But at this church, I would definitely be remiss if I didn't share a couple things, a couple values that God spoke into my heart. And the first one, you've heard me reference it now a couple times today, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you. I could, have, I could have put a page full of scriptures on this. I am amazed at how much of the body of Christ is ignorant of this truth. Amazed. Let me read what I do have here. Luke 3.16. John said this when he was about to baptize Jesus. He said, I, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 24, 29. Jesus said this to his disciples when he was getting ready to leave. This is what he told them. When he's getting ready to leave, this is what he told them. I am going to send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? Power from on high. Don't leave the city until you get this promise. Don't leave this city until you get this promise. That's how important this was to Jesus. Acts 1.8. But you, I'll tell you what, all the bold words just from now on, just read those bold words. We did this last time. That will help you stay engaged watching on the scripture. Here we go. Ready? But you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my to the ends of the earth. Acts 2.4. All of them were and guess what they did? They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So at this church, there was a time after every Sunday night, after every evening meeting. By the way, this church met Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Friday night. I told my kids this uh, past week that I used to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night at the first church. They're like, what? That's insane. It is kind of insane, truthfully. I, I like what we do now. 
But I did love the fact that church was open a lot. And we, at the end of each of the evening meetings, it was not an altar call. They weren't good at giving altar calls for salvation or anything in particular. They never did that. But they just opened up the altar. And we just kind of went up. And somebody would be worshiping up there. And we'd just seek God. It was the only place I've ever been that did that. And while I was up there seeking God, I said, I want what my mom has. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, God. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And you guys, ever, if, if you've never prayed in your prayer language, you may go, I don't, I don't quite get it. But you know, sometimes you just don't have words to say. You run out of words. And the next thing I knew, I was praying and just crying, and I was speaking in tongues. And I re- I'll never, ever forget the drive home. My mom looked at me, and she said, how do you feel? And these were my words, 12-year-old little boy. I said, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven, and I've been right with Jesus himself. Now, I'm telling you, if you want me to be ashamed and shut up about that baptism of the Holy Spirit, I can't do that. I can't do that. It was life-changing for me. It made me bold. It made me strong. I use my prayer language every single day. And I know a lot of people don't understand because they hear about the gift of tongues, which is a whole different thing. We teach on this in Discipleship 201. The gift of tongues is God speaking to us, and there has to be interpretation, and not everybody's using that. But the prayer language is for any believer that wants it. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God will do it, and he'll give you a prayer language. You say, some other people say, yeah, but Paul, he warned about that in 1 Corinthians 14. He was talking to all them tongue talkers, and he said, you're abusing this, and you're abusing this. He did. He did. He kind of set them straight. But what they miss is in that same chapter, he also said, but I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. When's the last, when it, has anybody ever heard a preacher say that? Ever? Ever? So he wasn't ashamed of tongues. Yes, there's a place for it, but he wasn't ashamed of it. And so I use my prayer language every day. I just want to say to you, listen, God wants to fill everybody in this room with the Holy Spirit. Everybody that ever visits, it's his desire. It's more of him. And it's baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That changed my life. My life. It changed it forever. And I'm forever grateful I learned that at that church. The other thing that happened was I would go around and I remember saying to God, God, there's no young people. We had like three young people, three teenagers in this church. And the other two could care less about the Lord. And I remember saying, God, I need some young people. I need fellowship. I need fellowship. And so somebody told me about Youth for Christ. And so I looked it up, called the number, and they had just left Cleveland. It just had not worked in Cleveland. They had just left Cleveland. And I'm like, God, I don't have any. And I went for about six months just saying, God, I need to have some fellowship. I need. At my school, I didn't know one Christian. If they were Christians, they were what I call secret agent Christians. I never knew any Christians at school. Not a one. Not a one. I'm not saying they weren't there. I'm just saying I didn't know of any. And I was begging God, and God spoke the words. I'll never forget. It was almost like audible. I don't think it was. I think it was in my spirit, but it was just so real. It could have been audible. He said, you want young people? Go and win them. Go and win them. And so when young people tell me, oh, there's no young people, and they use that as an excuse, I'm like, you're talking to the wrong guy here. Because I went out, and I started leading kids to Jesus Christ. And before we knew it, we would bring carloads full. We ended up having three or four carloads every Sunday of kids that we literally led to Jesus. We led them to Christ. And we bring them into our church. The pastor said years later, she said, that was the greatest revival that we ever had in our church was all of these young people coming into the church. And during this time, the Lord used me in a way that I had never been used. We had a youth night, and I became a youth leader. I wasn't asked to lead. I wasn't commissioned to lead. I was a couple steps ahead of all of them. And because I was a couple steps ahead of them, they looked to me to lead. 
Little did I know at that time that this was going to be my calling in life to lead. God did it at this little church. Between the years of 12 and 18, I started leading a youth group. Crazy. I look back and I'm thinking, God, thank you for my time at Apostolic Oneness Church. But it didn't stop there. Oh, and let me, let me read the scripture here. Uh, for anybody who's young, we don't have, a lot of our young ones aren't here today, uh, but some are. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example. Set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. You want, to, you want the, to get them to stop looking down on you? Then set an example. As a young person, set an example for them. Set an example. So two things that the Lord really showed me there, really three, baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, you win them. You want, you want fellowship? Go out and win them. And then I became a leader for the first time in my life without even realizing that I was leading a leader. Another thing that happened during this time, how many of you are old enough to remember the Jesus People Movement? Let me see the hands. Yeah, some of you do. Some of you remember the Jesus People Movement. Um, That's me playing my guitar. That's us at a Jesus festival. This was a time where coffee houses were springing up all over the the country. Uh, There were coffee houses springing up. and I'm going to get right into it, so let me just let me skip right into this here. A Time magazine, to tell you how incredible this move of God was, hippies all across the country, drug users and hippie, were coming to Jesus in droves. Out in California, there was a church that was baptizing hundreds every single month. Hundreds of people. It was such a phenomenal move of God, and it touched Cleveland as well. I can remember going to a, what we called a Jesus people house. I would literally hitchhike to get down to this house. And when I got there, it was a big old Victorian house that was packed, packed full of long-haired hippies and people who had come off drugs. I, I kind of looked out of place because I really, I, you know, that wasn't really my lifestyle. I'd already been saved for some time. But I walked in this place, and I remember they were, they were up the stairs. They were all over the floor. They were in every chair. They were out on, the, out on the porch, and I was just like, my gosh. All of a sudden, I had all the fellowship in the world that I wanted. It was so phenomenal. And I'll never forget, and we heard this. I actually heard a couple people. We were watching the prophetic conference out of Nashville, Regeneration Nashville. Some of you may be familiar with Kent Christmas, uh, some of the stuff that he has put out here recently. We watched that entire prophetic conference a couple weeks ago. A couple of the prophets, they noted that the coming revival, they literally said this, is going to be a lot like the Jesus movement back in the 70s. It's going to primarily be outside the church, and the church won't even know what to do with it. That's what the Jesus movement was. The church, honestly, they didn't know what to do with it. They were just like, what's going on? What's going on out there? A few churches embraced it. Chuck Smith, Calvary Temple, Calvary Temple, something like that, out in California. He started having these hippies come into his church, and they'd come in with their jeans and their bare feet, uh, and they would sit down, and, and uh, and the people in the church, they were getting frustrated with it because they were coming in, getting their, their pews dirty, and, and they were coming in with their bare feet on the carpet, and they would sit on the floor. And they, he started hearing complaints from the deacons and from the elders and from the people. And so one Sunday he got up and he said, listen, all of you young people coming in here with your jeans, your rivets are scratching our pews. Your feet are dirty in our carpet. And there are people that don't like that. So here's what we're going to do. Starting today, after this meeting, we're ripping out the carpet. We're getting rid of these pews. You are more than welcome in this place. They were at the front and center of church, a church that accepted this this abnormal thing that was going on outside the church. Almost every one of the prophets said, the revival that is coming these last days... I will pour out my spirit on all people. When's he going to do that? In the last days. 
I will pour out my spirit upon all people. But listen to me, a lot of it is probably going to be happening out there. And we may not know what to do with it. But I would say Valley View and under the leadership of this guy and his wife, you guys are well ready for it. I hope we are at least. I think we are. But it may stretch you. It may stretch you. I was blown away by it. This was a different revival than anything I've been in. It was good for me because the church I was in, as much as I love that place, they literally felt like their doctrine was the only right doctrine. They and the other churches that believed like them. And I used to think, are all these other people really going to hell? It was just so hard for me to grasp it. And I knew they had their pet pick scriptures that they went to that seemed to make sense to me. But when I went to this Jesus movement, my life was changed. More than that, my ministry was changed. It was messed up for the rest of my life. In a good way. In a good way. And I began to realize, man, God's got a lot of people out here he's touching. A lot of people he's touching. And so it's a different kind of revival. It is literally the birth of today's worship. It's the birth of today's worship. Psalms 96, 1 through 9. I just took parts of it. Uh, Do the bold with me, if you will. Sing to the Lord. It's the very first word of each one, so you got to be ready. Ready? I know you're writing things in. I apologize. Some of you are taking time to actually write. Thank you for doing that. Are you ready? Here we go. Psalms 96.1. Sing to the Lord a new song. His name. His glory among the nations. The Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalms 33 verse 1. It is for the upright to praise him. See, the garment of praise. You, you referenced this, uh, Caleb, in your, in your message last week. Psalms 60 or 61. That he gave us a garment of praise for that spirit of mourning. The garment of praise, and I love the prophecy that came forth from my brother over here. The garment of praise, God says it's fitting. You know what that means? It looks good on you. Amen. When God sees his people praise, and when you enter into praise, when you go for it, not just in the house, but at your home, in your car, you can put that outfit on anywhere, by the way. You can even do it in the shower. When you're butt naked, you can still have the garment. You can still have the, did I say that? Oh, you can still have the garment of praise on. Come on. How many of you have ever praised God in the shower? Come on. If you haven't, you've got to give it a try, man. I'm telling you. It's, it's like being baptized. The whole bitch was all in one. <laughs> so a lot of the worship, even the worship you heard today and the worship you hear in churches, Pretty much all over this country and even around the world, a lot of what we call contemporary worship, it was birthed, literally birthed in the Jesus movement. It was birthed back then. It was more contemporary music back then. I wrote down some of these names. A few of you old timers will remember these. Yeah, you're going to remember along with me. Love Song, Love Song, Phil Kage, Andre Crouch, Second Chapter of Acts. Paul Clark, and the list could go on and on of music that we were just like, oh, we were love star for this music because we used to listen to all this rock and stuff and we didn't have anything. All of a sudden, oh, but that was like taboo in a lot of churches. They didn't know what to do with it because most churches, all they had was a piano and an organ. So you guys don't even remember those days, but those days used to exist. And they did. I even heard people speaking evil of this music, music. But that music is birthed. It birthed modern-day worship. And I'm telling you, there's hardly a church that hasn't been touched. There's maybe a few, but hardly a church that hasn't been touched by contemporary worship. Worship that became more personal. I love some of the hymns, by the way. I'm not opposed to singing the hymns. We do occasionally hear. The hymns have rich meaning. They're almost like more doctrinal and teaching. And I like that. For, but in praise and worship where it's intimate and directed toward him... Nothing like the stuff that God's doing. And now, I mean, listen, in this town, Lisa, you said we take for granted the hot water that comes out. In this town, right here, Dayton, Ohio, you can flip on Caleb anytime you want. You can flip on Air One, the worship station, by the way. Worship, 24-7 worship on Air One. Yeah, you got all of that going on. You can go to almost any church that you want and hear good worship. 
including right here, including right here. Don't take that for granted. I know what it was like not to have any of that stuff. And man, I am so grateful that God has taken us and he used the Jesus movement to birth it. It was the birth of today's worship. And it was also a place where they called for radical commitment. Radical commitment. I've learned my lesson. I'm waiting just a few minutes. I see the pens moving. All right, I'm seeing heads come up. Help me out if you would when we get to the bold. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must and take up their cross daily and follow me. You don't hear that a lot today either. You hear it some places. A message of denying yourself. You want to be my disciple? Anybody in the room want to be his disciple? I want to be his disciple. Deny yourself. All right, let's Luke 14, 33. Uh, and we discuss what this means actually in Discipleship 201 as well. Those of you who do not cannot be my disciples. How many of you would agree that's radical commitment? Oh, just come to Jesus. Oh, you don't even have to come. Oh, you don't have everybody close your eyes. Don't everybody, nobody look, nobody look at all. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, say a little prayer after me. Well, salvation is easy. It is, and I don't want to make light of that. Jesus paid it all, and it's by grace, and it's through faith. You don't even have to say that prayer if you're really believing from your heart, but the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that's why we ask people to pray. So I don't want to make light, and I just actually kind of take back a little bit of my attitude with how I said that. But I will say this, being born again is like having a baby. <laughs> We've had babies. Was, your, was their life over? Was that it when they were born? Is that it? Oh, it's all over, right? No, that's just the beginning. And so Jesus said, okay, now that you're born again, it's time to deny yourself. I heard this message preached so many times among these Jesus people who came with nothing been redeemed from these god-awful lives set free set free and i watched as it was preached to them give up all you have and i'm telling you my brother's right rex you are right the jesus movement impacted my ministry probably more than anything else and there's a lot that impacted it there's a radical bent to me that i can't get rid of because of this because of this See, I'm looking back there, but because of this. A radical, I just gave uh, my brother Caleb a little thing about radical Christianity, and it compares what I call American Christianity with biblical Christianity. And biblical is so radical compared to what most churches are hearing in America. God help. God help the church in America. God help our church. Because it's full of people who have been born again that need to go further now into Jesus. Radical commitment. And the last thing, well, we're actually moving through these pretty quickly. The church, baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, you go out and win them, lead them. Uh, the Jesus movement, different revival, the birth of today's uh, worship, radical commitment. And the last one is International Bible College. I don't know how clearly you can see. Do you guys see the, do you see that teacher up there? Do you see him? That's the president of International Bible College. Well, he's gone on to be with Jesus now. But that was the president of the Bible College who taught life of Christ. There was probably never a person who impacted my life more than him. He totally, totally impacted my life. This is in life of Christ. He taught life of Christ. The most, one of the most dynamic speakers. You would sit on the edge of your seat. You would be riveted, obviously, by the things you saw and heard it was just crazy, crazy powerful stuff. And I was privileged, and I'll say this with all my heart, I was privileged to sit in his class on homiletics. Do you know what homiletics is? Homiletics is the art of preaching. Literally, they would, we had to learn how to preach, how to put together messages. We would stand up, they would critique you. It's the only time in my life, well, it's not the only time. I'm sure I've been, I'm sure, I'm sure I've been had with chicken Many, at many lunches over the years. 
But in this place, you heard the criticism. They would critique you and say, don't do that. I remember I used to lean over, and they'd say, don't lean over all the time. You're just leaning over all the time. You're just leaning over. If that class was life-changing for me and ministry-changing. And I'm so grateful for this man who taught me and listened to me. Literally, doors have opened up all over this country because of him teaching me how to speak. Big crowds, little crowds, all over because this man taught me how to keep people's attention. I am so grateful. And I teach different than he did. It's not that we're all cookie cutters, but his impact on my life was so changed. Life, ministry changing. Okay, I even got to the points. Here we go. So here we are at this college, which when we went there, they didn't have this big, big beautiful building yet. We were met in army barracks. I remember my parents, when they went down there, and I told them I wanted to go to Bible college. And my dad initially, he said, well, maybe you ought to go to, you know, a, a, what do they call where you have both of them? What's the study? What's that called? Um, where you have Bible and also other, liberal arts. Maybe you want to go to liberal arts school. And, and I said, no, I really feel like I'm supposed to go to this Bible college. Really feel like I'm supposed to go here. I had never been there in my life, ever, until the day I showed up for school. Ever. I flew in, took a taxi, they dropped me off, and I'm like, I didn't know anybody. And Linda, you were looking out the window. She was she was kind of interested in somebody else at the time. But she said, and your the other one said, go help that guy to her boy, go help that guy out. Help him out. He looks lost. And so they came over and kind of helped me out. We were elbowing you. <laughs> preaching from the congregation. There you go. But that's okay. You can preach that all you want. I like hearing that kind of stuff. <laughs> we were elbowing each other. Go ahead, baby. Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on. Give it to me. Give it to me. So, uh, so anyhow, little did, little did we know that in our third year we would make a connection on a mission trip. A connection on a mission trip. And, yeah, there's a value that changed my life. There is a value that changed my life. And I told you how we were married the day after graduation last two weeks ago. Anyhow, at this particular school, there were some values that were placed in me. And one was the word, the word of God. You say, well, yeah, the word. Of course, the word of God. I want to get this out because I know that um, I understand that there's good, good reasons why we print out the scriptures because there's so many versions. And I've been in a place, I taught Discipleship 201 one time before we, um, and everybody was reading out their Bibles and they'd all be reading different things and it's hard to follow sometimes. And so I decided to go with message notes and, and, and Caleb puts it up on the screen so that we're all reading kind of the same thing. And then you can go look at the different versions later, which I would encourage you to do that because you get stuff out of it. Sometimes you don't. So you say, yeah, well, of course, the Word of God. Well, I want to read these scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.16. And I need you again on the bold things, if you would be so kind as to read them for me. All is God-breathed. Ooh. God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So before I went to Bible college, um, I loved Jesus. I was radically sold out throughout my high school. You guys know that. I was leading people to Jesus. I was leading a youth group. Uh, I was in church as much as I could get. By the way, I didn't say this earlier. I couldn't get enough of God. I couldn't. On Tuesday night, I went to the Jesus People House. On Wednesday night, I went to our church. On Thursday night, I led the youth group. On Friday night, I went to our church. On Saturday, I went to a Christian coffee house, a Teen Challenge coffee house. And Sunday morning and Sunday night, I went to church. And on Monday, my parents begged me to stay home with them. <laughs> I couldn't get enough of Jesus. I couldn't get enough. I couldn't, and I still can't. 
when we were worshiping today, I just like, oh, God, I want more of you. I want more. But my knowledge of the word was somewhat limited prior to going. And I had what most people have. It wasn't bad. God honored it. God used it. I had my favorite scriptures. You know, you pull a scripture out. It's sort of like the, you ever see those, I don't even know if they make it anymore. They used to make this like, it looked like a loaf of bread, daily bread, and you would pull out these cards and it would have scriptures. Well, you'd never, there, I guarantee there's a bunch of scriptures you'd never get in those. Those were always good scriptures. Those are always the things you wanted. Oh, you know, you're highly favored. Yes, yes. You know, all that kind of stuff. But so that's what my kind of scriptures. Philippians 14, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added on. And on and on and on. I had all these favorite scriptures. But I didn't realize, for example, that Philippians was one letter written to a church. And that there was context that makes a difference. For example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, how many of you haven't ever quoted that? Haven't you ever quoted that? And God, again, honors it across the spectrum. He honored it for me when that's all I knew. But I didn't realize that the the surrounding context of that is contentment. Contentment. I've learned to have a lot. I've I've learned to have a little. I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. I was in Bible college, and all of a sudden, the context started coming alive to me. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. All of a sudden, I saw because they were giving into missions and into Paul's life, he turns around and says, you gave me a gift. I didn't even desire the gift. Thank you. And because of this, my God now will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Because you have sown, now you're going to reap. Is this making sense to anybody in the room? Context matters. That's why I say at least one time, read the Bible from beginning to end. You don't have to start at the beginning, end at the end, but read it through. Context matters. We get ourselves into trouble because we have pull out. My church that felt like they were the only ones there, I'm telling you, they could probably convince a lot of people that you were going to hell because they had their pet scriptures that they could pull out that truly made sense but they weren't always in their proper context. So at Bible college, I learned context. I learned that that matters, and I learned if we're going to be properly, what does it say? Do your best to present yourself as one who is approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Well, how do you do that? By correctly handling the word of truth. Hallelujah. It keeps us from error. I see so many times I'm thinking, oh, there's believers going off the rails here because they're taking one part of Scripture and not balancing it with the rest of it. I think that means more to me than you guys. But I'm telling you, you were the recipient of my, even though I take Scriptures and just take them, you are the recipient of of my belief in context that I learned at Bible college. The second thing is they gave me a worldview. A worldview. You guys know this scripture. Probably most people know it by heart. It's one of the faves. And understandably so. I could understand why it's one of the favorites. John 3, 16. For God so loved the... Oh, no. God For God so loved America. For God so loved... You guys keep saying it wrong. For God so loved America. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that person will not perish. That person will have everlasting life. This will sound maybe a little naive and a little ignorant, but as an 18-year-old boy leaving Cleveland, Ohio, I felt like most of the world was probably like Cleveland. I felt like they probably all had a bunch of churches. There were poor people. There were rich people. I felt like it was all pretty much like Cleveland. And I went to International Bible College, and they taught me a worldview. 
and I begin to realize that the world is way different than I thought. My first trip into Mexico, which, by the way, is where this gal and I hit it off. She'd already been to Mexico. Ooh, God knew what he was doing. I had a hunger for missions, a desire for missions. This girl had already been to Mexico, and so she talked and shared with me her experience. But one of the first trips I made into Mexico, we went to a place, and I don't remember, we went to a couple different places to preach on that trip, and we went to one, and it was a lot of poverty. I never saw poverty like this. Never saw anything like this. And Mexico has come a long way since then, truthfully. And I remember just being blown away by what I was seeing. And then I learned in Bible college, and this is important, folks. This is really important. What I'm about to say is really important. This is what I learned. That 90% of the ministry preaches and focuses on 10% of the population of the world. That includes America and Europe. 90% of all ministry focuses on 10% of the population. That leaves 10%, the rest of the ministry, 10%, has to reach the rest of the 90% of the world. And something within me felt so grieved when I learned that. I thought, that's not right. That's not right. God, that is not right. And I know I hear people say, we need it here in America. We will always need it in America. It's not that we don't need it in America, but I'm telling you, it's not the same. There are people who've never even heard the sweet name of Jesus. I've heard it over and over again. I have all kinds of Bibles. I, have, I could go to, how many churches just in this area could I go to? And I'm not trying to shame any of you. I'm just telling you that my eyes were opened up to begin to realize. And from that moment on, my heart beat with the heartbeat of God. For God so loved the world. And I began to love the world. And I've never stopped loving the world since. I thought for sure that Linda and I would be one of those off on a mission field. But instead, God said, no, I've chosen you to be part of that 90% here. But every church you go to. I want you to share with them the importance of world missions. And we've added missionaries, even here, that go into the world, go into the outer. We, we support a couple that went over to China. I went. I saw their work. I literally saw people coming from these outer places, people who had not heard the name of Jesus, but they led to the Lord, and now we're training them to be leaders over their own people. You talk about ministry changing. Thank you, International Bible College, for opening my eyes that not every place is like Cleveland. Not every place is like Englewood. Some places don't have a church to even attend. Jenna, I know your heart. One of the things, one of the things that just absolutely gravitated my heart to you is because you had a heart to reach unreached people. And now you're coming back to learn a skill so that you can go into some of these countries that won't even let you in without a skill. And I pray to God... Unless he has other plans, obviously he, he rules, he reigns. But I, part of me is like selfishly praying, God, let that dream come true for Jenna. Because we need Jennas in the world who are willing to go places where most people won't go. I saw Sherry Ballard. Sherry Ballard is a lightning rod. She's a lightning rod. I'm just going to be real open here. Uh, more, usually I would say something like this to Caleb. Just to Caleb, leader to leader. But I'm going to be real open Sherry Ballard is kind of a, in some ways, a pastor's nightmare. And you say, what do you mean by that? Because Sherry Ballard is one of those people that's like a lightning rod. Half the church will be like, oh, my God. Oh, wow, Sherry showed up. And the other half is like, oh, I think she's overboard. I think she's gone off. Well, I don't like the way. You know, so it's a pastor's nightmare. And we've had these people in every church we've been at. But to Sherry, this is the thing I've always said about Sherry. Whether you like how she speaks or not, whether you like how dogmatic she is and and she is all the above. One thing I love about her, she's the real deal that goes into places all over the world. She goes to places I'd be afraid to go to. I'm thinking I'm such a coward, and she's going into these places and never thinks twice about it. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for sending me to a school that had, was founded by a missionary. It was founded by a missionary. His, his parents were missionaries to Japan. And by the way, there's an international Bible college in Japan. There's an international Bible college in South Korea. 
as well as in San Antonio. San Antonio was the last one. They had to come back because of World War II, and they founded a college. And they've sent out so many missionaries from that college. I got one more. I can't hardly, I can't, I am so, I am so wrecked by the Holy Spirit. I am so grateful. Again, I know this series probably means more to me than it will ever maybe mean to you. But I'm thinking these are the places God allowed me to be a part of. It changed me. Here I am now, 66 years old, looking back over this long span of life. And I'm thinking, way back then, when I was like 21, when I was 20, God was changing my life forever. Forever. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. I'm so grateful. I am so grateful. I am so grateful. The last one was count the costs. Count the costs. Let's read the scripture if you would. And again, I'll wait just a moment. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I've had such a rich life. Thank you, Lord. So blessed. Luke 14, verse 28 through 30 says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and? Why are you estimating the cost? To see if you have enough money to? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule, saying, This person and this person began to build but wasn't able to finish One of the things I learned at IBC, not from any instructor, was that sometimes God sends you to a place and you're not done until he says you're done. You're not done until he says you're done. I'm going to say that for all of you in this room, by the way. Wherever God has you, whatever he has you doing, you're not done until he says you're done. So in my first year, when I walked in, the first first week, of IBC, and they had instruments up there that I had never heard. They had worship like I had never heard. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is glorious. And we continued to have chapel. We had chapel every day, all year long. But, but Lisa, going back to a word that you gave, and I'm going to give you a principle here. Familiarity breeds contempt. I did learn that at Bible college, that phrase, that principle. Familiarity breeds contempt. All that's saying is the more we have something, the more we get, start to take it for granted. And so this chapel that was like heaven at first, after a while, I kind of was taking it for granted. And plus, there were all the studies and all the. And I remember about three-fourths of the way through the first year, I'm like, am I even going to get through this year? I am so tired of this. Tired of learning about Jesus. Imagine that. I was tired of the test, tired of the study, tired tired of going to work, rushing back, staying up, homework, all the above. And those heavenly chapels were a thing of the past. And I'll never forget the president, the wild, crazy president you saw up there. He said during these chapels, because he knew better, he said, I wish I could tape your guys' responses during these chapels and play them for you later. Oh, what a wise man he was. He'd been around the block. I made it through the first year, and I knew at that point God wanted me to complete all four years. I knew that. I went back the second year. Our class was split down to about half. Third year, down to about half. Fourth year, I mean, there was just a handful of us because it wasn't a big college, a college of about 300 people. I mean, there was just a handful of us that were graduating. Now, I can't speak to anybody else's life. I can't say that all of them were supposed to go four years. I can't say that. I have no knowledge of what God spoke to them. But I will say this. I have a feeling that some of them just dropped out. And I've seen that over the years, an inability to count the costs and finish what God told you. You start something, you finish it, and you're not done until it says you're done. 
ask the worship team to slip up. And I'm going to pause while they come up because I don't want this last thing to be interrupted. In fact, I'm going to grab my guitar during this too. Ladies, if you just want to grab a seat just for a second, I'm, I'm about to close this, literally close it and, and bring it down. And a few of you have heard me share actually this story. It's a repeat story, but it really fits. And that is that after I had been to Bible college and after we were pastoring our first church for about three years, something like that, we were back visiting my parents in Cleveland, Ohio. And don't let me lose you here. Don't let me lose you. I know we're kind of taking a little break, changing here. Don't let me lose you. So we were back visiting my parents in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, so many of my stories so date me. That's, that's what's crazy about it. So crazy about it. So we were going to a photo mat. All right. So how many in the room remember photo mats? <laughs> too many of us. Too many of us, yeah. So I was going to a photo mat where the, I mean, it was big news. They could get your pictures back to you really quick. You know, you send your pictures off. They get to see all your pictures. So you were always really careful what kind of pictures you took. Hopefully, hopefully you were careful what kind of pictures you took. And then you send them off, and then they send them back, and you hope they turned out. You didn't even know. But you got to pay for the ones that looked horrible. You got to pay for the ones that looked good. But it wasn't anything. This story's not about the pictures. I was at this photo mat in Cleveland, a city that I didn't live in. And I had sent some off. We were there long enough to get them back. And I went. When I went to pick them up, there was a young lady there. I did, honestly, I did not recognize her. But she looked at me. She did have the privilege of seeing my name probably, though, too. But she said to me, you're Rich Curtis. And I said, yeah. And my parents had moved away from where I went to high school, so we weren't living around the high school. She said, I'm so-and-so from Rhodes High School. I said, and then I remembered. I was like, oh, my gosh. So good to see you. And then she says, what are you doing these days? And I said, oh, I'm pastoring a church down in southern Illinois. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget it. She said, you stuck with it. You literally stuck with it. And I said, I, I'm kind of clueless what you're talking about. Yes, of course I did. She said, well, back in school, it was all the Jesus movement, and you were part of the big Jesus movement, and we all even called you Jesus freak because you, so, you were sold out to Jesus. And she said, some of us in the school literally bet on the fact that it will just die. When the Jesus movement dies, he'll, he'll give it up. He's just in it for the flame. Mm, and I looked at her, and I felt like, felt like the disciples, Caleb, yeah. when Jesus said, will you leave me also? I looked mm. at her, and I said, where else could I go? He alone has the words of eternal life. Amen. I'm in this for the long haul. I want to be found faithful to the very end. 